Welcome everybody, I'm Max. Welcome everyone, this is Nabil. Welcome to Equals, a podcast about hope and inequality. Now, if you're a parent out there working hard for a brighter future for your children, if you're a professional in industry, believing that business can play a better role in the world, if you're a student looking for the big ideas to change the world, well, I hope this podcast can be for you. So what you're saying, Nabil, is this is for young people like you and then for the more mature, <laughs> older types like me. Yeah? Not at all, Max. So wherever you are in the world, however old you are, whatever your background, really, I hope this podcast can be something for you. I really hope so, too. Um, I think we want to look at different things with this podcast. We want to look at the scale of the inequality crisis, the huge gap that's opened up between the super rich and the rest of us. Some of the drivers of that, so looking at, for instance, the role that big money is playing in, in buying politics, in buying the media, or perhaps some of the more broken economic ideas behind the Great Divide. And Max, where this becomes really interesting for me is that relationship between extreme inequality and the fight for equality between women and men, the fight for racial equality, the fight to save our planet. Definitely. And I think the other thing we want to do, because some of this can be, let's be honest, a bit doom and gloom. So we really want to focus too in this podcast on stories of hope. And we think there are many, many stories of hope out there in the world. Many countries doing the right thing, many activists fighting against inequality and succeeding. So this is what we're excited to bring you. Over the next few weeks, we'll have a series of episodes of interviews with people really doing something about inequality. They could be thinkers, and we're excited to interviewing politicians like a, an exciting young progressive politician from the United States to heads of government. A head of government we're going to be interviewing has brought down inequality every year since 1993. We're also going to be speaking to activists, activists who perhaps we've really never heard of, but activists who are on the front line, who know the scars of inequality and also know how to fight it. And what better place to start than Winnie? Now, Winnie is our boss. She's the head of Oxfam International. And she's been fighting inequality her whole life. She started out fighting for freedom in Uganda as a part of the guerrilla war there. Uh, she's been fighting uh, injustice, fighting for women's rights, fighting economic inequality ever since. So we're going to start the podcast with an interview with her. Let's go. Winnie, every year for the last, what, five years, you've gone to Davos to this meeting of billionaires uh, and world leaders, corporate leaders. I mean, why do you do that to yourself every year? I mean, I couldn't bear it myself, surrounding myself with uh, those kinds of people. But every year you go there and... and why do you think it's important? This mountain place with a lot of snow and that is so difficult to get to and I hate the cold there, I have to admit, is the place where every year the richest people on earth who own the biggest companies in the world meet with the most powerful political leaders on earth. The presidents of the G7 are there, the leaders of the big countries like China and Brazil are there. They meet the political leaders, the economic leaders, and agree on how they are going to run the global economy for the next year and the next couple of years. They make big decisions there and listen to this. They do them informally. 
Then if people think that power is exercised in formal spaces, that's not true actually. Most of the time, rich people who, who are in business and, polit and politicians meet in informal spaces, take decisions, and then endorse them in the formal space. This is an informal space. It's not a place of decisions, formal decisions, but it's a place where the real decisions are made. They sit in little rooms, close themselves in, the whole place is barricaded, and they are making decisions that are going to affect the whole world, everybody. And they are talking about themselves, and all the time they are drinking champagne and eating caviar and what have you, and deciding what's, work, what's working for them, of citizens. We're angry that decisions on their lives are being made when they are excluded. So Oxfam gets invited in this space as one of the organizations of civil society that speaks forcefully on economic justice issues. I get to go there. I go there because I have some truth to tell, uncomfortable truths to tell those people in power. Winnie, I'm interested to hear on a personal level, what's going through your mind as an activist at this big festival of wealth? When I'm sitting there in those rooms with central bank governors, with ministers of finance, with prime ministers, I do feel a little bit scared put up my hand and to tell them what it really means, what their decisions really mean for a cab driver in Nairobi, a farmer in Guatemala, a woman who is laying bricks somewhere on a working site in India. Telling them those stories is not comfortable for me, but I just feel that We've been given an opportunity to speak for those who are not here. I've got to. So I put up my hand. I get the space. I speak. I see them uncomfortable in their seats too as I'm talking. But I'm uncomfortable too because <laughs> I know I'm not telling them something they like. But I'm happy to do it. I'm proud to do it. But also humble that I can take the voice of people I really know in those rooms make them uncomfortable and force them to address the pain of workers, the pain of farmers, the pain of women, the pain of all those who suffer poverty. So many people, I think actually some 25 million people will have seen that clip of you from Davos when you took on that billionaire from Yahoo. And you made such a powerful stand against inequality and really fighting for the dignity of ordinary working people. All that fire in your heart against inequality, where does it come from? What drives you? Yeah, that moment in Davos was it overwhelmed me. I didn't expect it. And, but I was angry. I was angry and probably that went viral because it caught how I was feeling inside. A rich man standing there and describing the world of the rich and saying that that is what the whole world should be celebrating with absolutely no, no understanding that 99 and more percent 
those statistics he was rolling out mean nothing to them. That they live awful lives, they're exploited. And here he was telling us how they've got jobs. They've got... So I was angry. And I think the world caught on to that, that so many people are angry, that their lives are becoming worse and worse, while a few people are living really quite debauched lives. They are so rich, they are, they are, they've got more than they need, and it's greed. And it's greed that has become normalized, that has become um, even uh, sanitized, and they feel good about themselves, and they come and give us fake statistics. So I was really angry. And Winnie, if I can, let's wind the clock back a little bit, further back in your life. You said you've known inequality all your life, and frankly, you've had a bit of an interesting life. Can you talk us through that experience? I've lived, actually, guilty for most of my life. Guilty because from my childhood, I was living in a poor community, but by accident, really it's accident, I happened to be the daughter of school teachers. And so that put me ahead of other children. And for the rest of my life, I've stayed ahead and pulled far, far ahead of all those girls that I grew up with that were my best friends. And remember, I still go back home to that same community, and I find them there. They are now women in their late 50s, early 60s. They are grandmas. They are still living in poverty. Mm. When we were going to school, I was going to school with a pair of shoes. Mind you, I was not rich by world standards. I just had one pair of shoes, but I had shoes. My classmates walked barefoot. And already at that stage, I felt guilty about having an advantage over them. I'd actually take them off and put them in my school bag and walk barefoot with them. Why would I feel guilty? Inequality is something that I live with every day. Because every day on my iPhone, I get a text from mm. one of my friends in the village saying, I can't, my girl is having to come out of school because I can't pay the fees this time. Or I get a text, we've lost somebody in the hospital. We don't even have the bus fare to take the body back home. Can you help? This is the reality of my life, that I still live in a community of poor people who couldn't escape poverty, and the children haven't escaped poverty because the state, which should level the ground for everyone, doesn't. The scarce resources of a poor country like mine are hogged by the rich who are in power. So I'm, I'm angry because government after government allocates for the interests of rich people and takes, it doesn't leave poor people alone, takes from them mm -hmm. through taxation, but doesn't give back to them to make their lives better. And, uh, and so they get richer and richer and poor people get poorer and poorer. This makes me angry. Anyone who has a conscience must be angry. And Winnie, is a message getting through? Has anything changed in this last half decade that you've been going to Davos? You know, I would have liked to say that things have changed, but I can't. What I can say for sure and what I see is that when we started 
taking this message of inequality in those rooms in Davos. We were speaking from the margins. We were seen as these angry, jealous people who want to upset stability of the world. Now, we are not seen like that. Our message is now mainstream. In those meeting rooms, the leaders of the world, business and politics, say that they've got to address inequality. They keep coming back to that issue because we've raised it long enough. We've put data on the table. We've brought real stories of people to the rooms that they can't ignore it anymore. So that's a change. You have to recognize a problem before you can get to the solutions. I wish I could say we have the solutions yet, but these governments and businesses are still at the level of rhetoric, hoping that by talking, they can uh, diffuse the problem. But we will get them to address the problem. We now must fight for the solutions, and we are getting there too. This issue of inequality, is it really an issue of poor countries and a problem for the poorest countries? Not at all. This is a global problem. This is a problem of billionaires, very wealthy people who hold economic power and who use it to exploit most workers, suppliers and ordinary people. I've talked to the G7 presidents last year. I told them the example of Dolores, a chicken worker in the United States of America, the great United States of America, who now cannot hold her baby because she, has, she chops so many chickens and has developed an illness of the hands, who goes to work in diapers because they are not allowed a toilet break. These are the conditions of work that are fueling the billions of profits that millionaires in America make. This is, a, this is injustice. These are conditions of work. This is how the global economy is running. It's running in the interests of a few. It's a global economy that's rigged against the majority, that benefits a few at the top. You're famous around the world for speaking out on economic inequality, on this growing gap between the rich and the rest of society. But you're also famous and, and have a long uh, history of fighting for women's rights, for feminism. So I wanted to ask you um, about how you see these things being connected, how you see these sister struggles, how you see these, this, uh, these joint struggles coming together. Since I was a child, I saw women, my mother and others, pushing hard for their daughters, demanding to keep their daughters in school when dads were saying, I'll only pay for the boy. I don't have money for the girl. After all, she's going to get married. I saw them fighting against early marriage. So I was conscious of myself as a girl with less rights than a boy right from childhood. When I joined a political struggle in Uganda against dictatorship, against neocolonialism, and we were in the bush fighting a civil war. I raised issues of women's rights there. And my socialist comrades, who were my political leaders in the struggle, accused me. They gave me a, a label, political label of 
obscurantist, obscurantist. I don't know how to say it, but it's obscurantist. They said, I must not deviate from the primary struggle, which is to liberate the country politically, and that the secondary struggle of women's rights will be fought later. And I said, no, they come together. Mm. Because I cannot separate myself from being a woman, being discriminated today, from being a Ugandan citizen who's denied my citizen rights today, and even from being a black woman who faces racism when I step out of Africa. I cannot separate all those realities. They must all be fought. They are part of one struggle. So for me, economic justice, the rights of workers, of farmers, of those who are at the bottom of the economic heap, and the rights of women come together. And the rights of all people who are discriminated on the basis of their religion or their race, these are one struggle. It's a struggle of the majority of people wanting to claim their human rights and a few top dogs wanting to die to deny them their rights and trying to split it up into many different struggles disempowers us and denies us our total power to challenge the few who hold power and use it against the majority. Young people are intersectional, and that's exciting. Winnie, I feel we could sit here all day. Let me ask this final question. Where do you, where do you find hope in the fight against inequality? Where do I find hope in the fight against inequality? I find hope in movements. I guess that's also why I'm here and why I've been working at Oxfam. Because Oxfam is about movement building. That excites me. I see movements of young feminists in Latin America, ni una menos. I see Fight Inequality Alliance growing stronger and stronger by the day. I see movements in Asia, such as the Siwa movement. Siwa is a trade union of women informal workers, three million of them, working to improve their lives and to challenge inequality. These movements make me hopeful because ultimately it will be the power of people that will address inequality. That gives me hope. Thank you so much, Winnie. Thank you too, Max and Nabi. Max, what I heard there from Winnie and what I've picked up over the years is that poverty and inequality, they're really not the same thing. Everyone wants to talk about poverty, what's happening at the bottom in this charitable, comfortable way. But very, very, very few want to talk about what's happening at the top, the behavior of a tiny few super rich elite, many men at the top. That's uncomfortable. That's political. And I think I agree that's what sets people like Winnie apart. She's willing to talk about people at the top. And also the relationship between the two and how often power is in fact zero sum. And certainly in terms of income over the last 40 years, one of the reasons so little income has gone to the people at the bottom is because so much has been captured by the top 1%, the top 5%. 
Max, you're right. And I think if we had this conversation 20 years ago, it would still be scary. But right now, we've really hit crisis mode. We live in a world in which 26 billionaires... Mainly men. Nearly all men. You're right. Nearly all men. 26 billionaires own as much wealth as a bottom 3.9 billion people of humanity, the bottom 50% of humanity. It makes you think why it's not on the front page of the newspapers every day. Well, I mean, one of the reasons it's not on the front of the newspapers every day is quite often it's the same wealthy interests that own the newspapers, that own the media in country after country. (laughs) You're right, Matt. The other thing that Winnie's interview made me reflect upon is my own personal journey, where I am today. And as much as I like to think at times that it's my talent or my skills that have got me to where I am, actually really what counts in such an unequal world is luck, really, and and privilege and privileged access. I really think of times when, you know, when things got tough at home and the state was there to provide access to lifters up where I or somebody in my family got sick. We had, you know, quality healthcare there on our doorstep and that made such a difference. And then I compare that to, you know, family I have living a zip code away, family I have, you know, a cousin away in Pakistan, which is where I'm originally from. They lead very different lives to what I have because of that lack of opportunity. I agree. I mean, Winnie's story really made me think that too. It made me reflect on the fact that, you know, I'm kind of terminally middle class. I come from a, a privileged background. And I remember really well one, once when I was working in a factory in the holidays once, and uh, 17 years old, I think. And um, I had a, a, a colleague at work, another young guy about the same age, he was really quite scary, quite aggressive. And one day he came up to me and he quietly said, could I read something for him? Because he was 17 and he couldn't read. And I remember being shocked that that can happen in one of the richest countries in the world and the difference in our lives, even though we lived just a few miles apart. And that is inequality. He just hadn't had the breaks that I had. He hadn't had the luck that I had. And that was, that was what it was all about, inequality. And that really made me reflect on inequality and how it impacted on my life. You're right, Max. Winnie's interview really makes us think about where we've come from, but also about the role that extreme inequality has played in our lives. Now, thanks everyone for joining us today for that interview with Winnie. We're also thrilled to bring you today an interview between Winnie and Professor Joseph Stiglitz, Nobel laureate, one of the world's foremost thinkers on inequality. Yes, and we really hope that you'll be listening to that and to subsequent podcasts. And we'd also really love to get your feedback. It's the first time we've done a podcast. We'd really like to know what people think out there. So if you could write to us, it's uh, equals at oxfam.org. That's equals at oxfam.org. So thanks, everyone, for listening and speak to you next time. Thank you. Thank you.